And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it's Monday. Yeah, that's right. It's Monday Blues. Back to work, of course, another week here as we get March fully underway this week. Uh, of course, this is also the you know, last month of the quarter, which means as we get to the end of the quarter, we're going to start seeing window dressing for portfolios, those type of things. And it's also, of course, FOMC month. So as March gets a little bit later into the month, around March 22nd, we will have the next FOMC meeting this Friday. Of course, the employment data. And of course, this is going to be the first employment report that, um, you know, really since the beginning of the year where we're not going to have as many seasonal adjustments to this. So again, expectations are, you know, that the employment report will be very strong. But now with not having so because this will be for the, the month of February, since we're reporting in March, it'll be for the month of February. January, of course, subject to big seasonal revisions. And that happens every year. Um, because of seasonal hiring and things that go on. We always have a big, very big seasonal adjustment in January. So this will be the first month without that very large seasonal adjustment. So this will be the first kind of good look at employment and really just how strong that employment number is. On our website this morning, we've actually got an article by Jim Colquitt that is talking about the relationship between consumer confidence and unemployment. It's actually a very good article. Go by the website, check it out, uh, realinvestmentadvice.com. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about markets as well, because again, you know, we were having the sell-off. Now, beginning at the at the beginning of February, we we just started writing an article talking about the correction has started and we're going to have a correction in the markets. Markets were really overbought. We got it, you know, and we discussed numerous times the sell signals that we had in place. Well, we had that sell-off, and the the target was the 200-day moving average. We touched that on Friday, actually on Thursday, and on Friday had a very nice bounce on Thursday, late Thursday afternoon, Friday, big bounce on Friday, up over 1% on Friday for the markets, rallied all the way back to the 20-day moving average. So that was a very, very good retest of that 200-day moving average. So now that previous resistance level there at the 200-day moving average, which was resistance really all last year, has now been officially broken and now confirmed as support for the market. So that's a very bullish sign here short term. Now, having said that, couple other things here we still have to be a little bit careful of. But first of all, we're still on a sell signal on our MACD. So that suggests right now that upside could remain a little bit limited. And again, today, challenging that 20-day moving average. So this is going to be the first test of resistance now since the confirmation of that support. So now we've, we've shifted the, the narrative from a bullish, uh, sorry, from a bearish narrative last year, now a more bullish narrative but we've got this first little challenge we've got to get through, and then we've got the previous highs right here at 4,200. So a couple of things uh, right here ahead, a little bit of challenge for the markets. Now we clear 4,200, got, uh, got a good bit of upside left to go in the markets. Here's, but, uh, but here's, the, here's kind of the problem that we have to deal with. Now, if you're driving, I'll explain this, so just sit back and listen for a moment. But you know, if you're watching our live stream on YouTube, uh, first of all, while you're there, be sure and click the little bell icon and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate it. 
But you'll see that the, the cell signals that you know, suggested that this correction was going to happen are increasing now. So they're, they're now starting to turn back up into a buy signal. And if the market is able to rally here for another day or two, we're going to trigger these buy signals again, suggesting more upside. Now, there's a little bit of difference, though, with this signal versus previous signals. Now, when we went back into the, the lows of the market last June, these signals were occurring at very low levels uh, on the index. So, again, the resultant buying in the markets or that resultant rise in the market during that buy signal was a lot bigger. This is when we had those 10% moves higher in the markets because these signals were occurring at very, very low levels. The last two signals that we've gotten have been occurring at very high levels, and this one is even at a higher level than the one we had back in December, which has very much shortened the length of that run. So when these signals occur at fairly high levels on the oscillation, that suggests that the upside of that move is going to be somewhat limited until because they're going to get back to overbought very quickly. You don't have that big kind of room to run to get back to overbought. So we're very close now back to this overbought level. So the upside here may be limited to around 4,200, 4,250 before we get the next sell signal, which would be around April, May, starting to head into the weaker summer months anyway. Of course, also in this process, we're gonna be hearing from the Federal Reserve, the, the, the potential now for a 50, bit rate, uh, 50 basis point rate increase uh, later this month is rising. That would certainly put a headwind on markets. But even if they only do 25 basis points, Fed fund futures are now pointing to a terminal rate, which is where the Fed will stop hiking rates now at 5.5%. So that's three more rate hikes of a quarter basis points each terminating somewhere around June or July right now. That's, that's the anticipation. But that, those increased interest rates will certainly probably hamper any kind of relative rise in the market here short term. So again, while the market is certainly putting off much more bullish signals here short term, and we certainly want to pay attention to that, there is some risk to the upside here that we need to be aware of. And again, because signals are triggering at a high level, technically, that suggests that the upside may be limited. So something just to, kind of, it, you know, as we've talked about before, technical indicators are a bit like fuel in a gas tank. So if you think about it, as we were talking about earlier in, in back in July and then again in October, those signals were occurring at very low levels. So the tank, the gas tank in the car was, was completely full of gas. So you had a lot of gas, a lot of fuel for that rally in the market. Now we're starting a rally with about a quarter tank of gas. So, you know, we'll have a rally, but the question will be how far can it go? You just don't have the potential for that buying momentum to last for a very long period of time. So again, it's just something to kind of pay attention to as, as we go through. I know, and I, look, I know that's a lot of mumbo jumbo technical wise, but the point here is it's okay to be on the bullish side of the camp right now. Just be a little bit careful as you know, taking on a lot of risk and particularly speculative risk because the upside here again is probably limited. So just be a little bit cautious. This is all this is saying is just being a little bit cautious about how much risk that you put into your portfolio. And this particularly comes into case of something we'll talk about this morning is recession. You know, there's a big debate right now. A recession, no recession, no landing, maybe just a little recession, a soft landing. What's that going to be? And of course, this is, this is something I've said numerous times is, I don't know. 
you know, a lot of predictions coming out about what we're going to have. I don't know what we're going to have. And, and I don't know if there'll be a recession. You know, I'm getting emails from people telling me, oh, there's no recession coming because of this reason or that reason. Could very well be right. I have a lot of people telling me a recession's definitely coming because of this reason or that reason. Could well be right. I don't know. And nobody really does. We can only guess at this. There's a lot of reasons we've discussed previously about the money supply in the system that's going to keep this uh, economy going for longer than people expect. But that is being removed. But all of this will certainly play into the fact of what happens in the markets later this summer. As earnings slow down, as production slows down, as these things occur because of tighter monetary policy, that's going to be the issue. Look, lots of stuff to get into this morning. Recession, no recession, soft landing. We'll kind of go through some of that data this morning of what we're looking at. And again, we don't know what the answer is, but we'll certainly talk about it this morning on The Real Investment Show. Get by the website. Our latest newsletter is out. It's on the website now for you. Uh, the latest article from Jim Colquitt on the website as well. It's all right there for you for free. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you in a second. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays, plus each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show, or just click on the show link at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So the big question, of course, is recession, no recession, soft landing. You know, everybody's got an opinion and, and it's all a guess is the problem. We just don't know. And as we talked about before, there's certainly lots of reasons why, you know, a recession could be delayed or maybe we could avoid a recession entirely. And there's certainly a lot of indicators suggesting that a recession is inevitable. And, and as we talk about, you know, these things, the important thing is to remember is that nobody really knows. Nobody knows for sure. Everybody claims they know. Nobody knows. And that's just because we can't predict the future. Too many things can happen. Um, you know, for instance, you know, the government could come back in and start sending checks to households again. Right. So, I mean, things can change. Or the Federal Reserve could, have, could tomorrow announce that, you know what? screw it, we're just going to cut rates back to zero and start doing quantitative easing again. It could certainly happen. You know, it's been interesting because over the last month or so, we've had this rally in the markets that has, has kind of caught markets by surprise since the beginning of the year. And this was supposed to be occurring, this is was occurring at a time where the Federal Reserve was supposed to be tightening their balance sheet, but yet there's actually been an increase because of the Treasury and because of foreign governments, etc. There's been an increase into liquidity of about a trillion dollars, which has flowed directly into stocks and higher stock prices. So things can, things can occur that, 
you know, certainly don't make sense in the short term. And there are certainly longer term outlooks that, you know, are certainly worrisome, right? Um, the Fed is hiking interest rates aggressively. And those, fa those, those rate moves are certainly putting the manufacturing sector at risk, which are very capital intensive and require a lot of borrowing, et cetera. So higher interest rates certainly impacts those sectors. But then we have a large chunk of the economy now that's service related. And again, so a good, good example of a non-recession recession, if you want to call it that, was back in 2012. We had a, a recession and very similar to what we have now, right? We had this recession going on in the manufacturing sector, but the service side of the markets were doing just fine. And they never went into a recession, but because, and because service now makes up such a big part of the economy. It used to be back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, that manufacturing, blue-collar work, etc., made up about 80% of the economy. Services were about 20%. That makes complete sense, right? So, you know, back then, remember, you know, during World War II, all the men were overseas fighting the war, and women had moved into the factories to manufacture stuff for the war. And, and again, you couldn't get anything, right? There was, if you talk to your parents that were around at that time, they'll tell you, you know, we couldn't get things, cheese, tires, anything related to the war effort, things that were needed for the war effort were rationed. And so you really couldn't get a lot of stuff. Well, after the war was over, Men came back home. They went to work in the factories. The women went home, started having babies, building houses, starting to buy all the stuff that they couldn't get before because now that the men are home and they're having babies and raising families, they needed to buy all this stuff. But it all had to be manufactured. And, we, and because we had bombed out basically the entirety of Europe, for the most part, in Japan, we were the manufacturing hub of the entire world. So as, as everybody else was rebuilding, they were buying their stuff from us. So we were primarily just manufacturing everything at that point. Everything from televisions to Levi's, you name it, we were manufacturing it here in the States. And so we had a very robust economic growth rate in, in, in the economy, and it was primarily manufacturing-based. Today, that's not really the issue anymore. We outsource inflation so we can import deflation. Because we want cheap, you know, we want cheaper goods. We want cheaper prices. We want, you know, an 85-inch flat-screen television for $9.99 from Amazon, delivered tomorrow. So we want these services, all right? But we don't want to do the manufacturing work because, well, that's kind of beneath us now, right? That's blue-collar work. We, don't, we, we look down on blue-collar work. We make fun of blue-collar workers. And we all want to be services, Everybody wants to work in an office, corner office with a big desk, <laughs> and just not really working out that way. They just haven't caught on to it yet. So it's a very different economy that we live in today. So some of the things that used to apply don't apply anymore. So when we look at a lot of these ISM services, you know, manufacturing indexes and things like that, we're clearly in recessionary territory. We're not really in a recession yet. It doesn't mean we won't get into one, but... We're just not there yet. And again, we have a very big chunk of the economy now from that are based on services. And think about all the things that you do, everything that, that are service-based, right? How many times does a UPS Amazon guy show up at your door delivering stuff to your house rather than you going out to buy it? 
how many things do you do today, Grubhub, Uber Eats, Lyft, Uber, blah, 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 that are services that you utilize to make your life easier? See, there's nothing wrong with services, right? They make our life more convenient. But there is an impact to economic growth because services have what is known as a very low multiplier effect relative to manufacturing, which has a very high multiplier effect in the economy. So it's one of the reasons why, yes, we have economic growth, but it's not real strong economic growth. The shift to services and the increase in debt is, of course, why we have a very tough time maintaining 2% economic growth. Even the Federal Reserve's long-term economic projections are below 2%. Now, there's an important point about that. Prior to 2000, before the turn of the century, 2% economic growth was considered pre-recessionary. If you had 2% economic growth, that was a worry sign for the economy. That means at 2%, you were just a, a, a smidgen away, just an economic disruption away from a recession. There's just not a lot of gap between 2% growth and negative percent growth, right? So 2% growth was just considered pre-recessionary. More importantly, 2% economic growth was the equilibrium point for employment. In other words, the economy grows, the, 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 the number of people in the economy grows every year. So we have new entrants coming in to the labor force every year that want a job because we have we have more population, right? Population increases. That means those people need a job and they're looking for a job in the economy. Well, 2% economic growth is considered what is equilibrium for the market. In other words, you're not growing the economy fast enough to absorb new labor entrants. You're just basically providing the jobs for the current number of people in the labor force. Now, here's the interesting side effect of that. We've been creating all these jobs, supposedly, over the last year or so. So you go, well, Lance, we have 2% economic growth, but yet we're creating all these jobs. Just look at how many jobs we created in, in January. We're not really doing that. All we're doing is getting back to where we were, for the most part, pre-economic shutdown. In other words, all we've done over the last couple of years is put people back to work that we laid off to start with. So we're not really creating all these jobs. You know, it's one of the mistakes that Joe Biden made during the State of the Union address, he says, we've created more jobs than any other president, blah, blah, blah. Not really. You just put people back to work. That's, you know, putting somebody back to work is not creating a new job. So that's the difference. And again, at 2% economic growth, that's what you would expect. So all these things weigh into this idea of where we are economically currently and whether or not that we are going to have a recession in the next few months or next year or so and here's here's a guarantee i can guarantee you with 100 accuracy we will have a recession at some point in the future right that we know 
But the big debate right now is, is, is that recession next month, next quarter, this year? Because that's what the bets are, right? Inverted yield curve means we're absolutely going to have a recession because it has always predicted a recession in the past. The thing about economic indicators is that there is the potential for them to be inaccurate for one reason or another. We have a tremendous amount of liquidity coming through reverse repo. We have a, a, a massive amount of liquidity still in the financial system from the stimulus bailouts back in 2020, 2021. We've talked about M2 as a percentage of GDP still very high. Social Security recipients just got an 8.5% bump to Social Security. It's going to be additional money in their pocket. Now, of course, that's an inflation bump, and that's just going to be basically helping them offset the cost of, of higher inflation, but that still gives them more money to spend in the economy. So you have these things out there that are certainly suggesting that the economy may be able to struggle along longer than you expect. And, this is, and, and the point about this conversation, and we'll finish this up on the other side of the break, is how do you invest in that environment, right? Um, I can't tell you how many emails I'm getting right now. People are, I just want to be in precious metals because because the economic you know consequences that are coming. But what if that's wrong? So we'll talk about that right after the break. Don't go away. I'm Real Science Roberts, realinvestmentadvice.com. Latest newsletter is out this weekend talking about earnings and valuations and forward earnings versus trailing earnings. And uh, so it's a very important article on the website now. It's our newsletter. It will feed a lot into this conversation we're having this morning. So, again, go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Download the latest newsletter on the homepage. Subscribe for our daily market commentary, our three, our before the bell, which is our now our, our three minutes on markets and money, its own YouTube channel. Subscribe to our, our newsletter. It's all free. It's all there to help you manage your money better. We'll be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So talking a little bit about this recession, no recession, soft landing debate, right? So, you know, it's interesting. As we were talking about for the break, Social Security recipients uh, are going to get, and anybody basically tied to government, so it's veterans, Social Security recipients, et cetera, anybody tied to the government, they're going to have an 8.5% bump for inflation adjustment, cost of living adjustment to their payments, right? But at the same time, you have an offset because millions of Americans are now going to lose because the um, – lose money because the pandemic error SNAP benefits. So SNAP is food stamps. That's the, sub, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. That's food stamps. So we gave them an extra boost of money during the pandemic era. Now, era, era. Right, we have to pronounce that correctly because otherwise it's error. So. 
I did. Um, but during the pandemic, we gave them additional money. Now that money will end. So benefits will return back to where they were before. So that's going to be a detraction from spending in the economy. So, you know, this is, this is kind of this conundrum that we face right now. Now, all this is very important when it comes down to investing. So who cares? There's a recession. Nobody likes it. But basically, what is a recession? Let's just start there for a second. What's a recession? A recession just means basically you have a period of negative economic growth. And this is how we measure growth on a year-over-year basis. If you actually look at GDP, right, nominal GDP, not inflation-adjusted, nominal GDP, there are plenty of periods going back in history where we went from 5% economic growth to 2% economic growth and had a recession because on an inflation-adjusted basis, we had negative growth. And negative growth is just simply that the economy grew by a dollar last year. This year, it grew by 98 cents. So that's a recession because you had negative growth. And so, yeah, that's a bad thing. But the reason we're so fixated to it from a financial standpoint, the reason that it's on the media every day is, is that historically stocks don't do well in a recession. Why? Because earnings are declining. Revenues are declining. And during the expansion, during the economic expansion, we weren't paying fair value for stocks. We were overpaying for what companies could earn on expectations that their future earnings were going to be higher than current earnings. So, you know, it was a good deal, right? We could pay 30 times earnings for a stock because supposedly their earnings would grow fast enough to catch up to it. And we could overpay for, as we use a good example that we always use, is you go into a, a, a neighborhood where every house in the neighborhood is $250,000. And you go, man, everybody wants to live here, right? It's got a good school district. It's got a park you know, whatever. So everybody wants to live in this neighborhood. So I'm going to pay $400,000 for a house today, even though every other house in the neighborhood is only two fifty. dollars I'm going to pay $400,000 for the house today because five years from now, every house in the neighborhood will be worth $400,000. Now think about that for a second, right? Everybody else in the neighborhood is going to make money. You're not. But the value of the houses catch up with what you paid for it. See, that's the theory of overpaying for stocks. And in the stock market, everybody does it, so prices rise. The problem comes, of course, when you have the recession and those earnings don't come to fruition because earnings decline during a recession. And now prices have to readjust for lower earnings, and that's what's been going on over the last year. And the question, of course, is have earnings adjusted enough to accommodate for a recession? Now, looking at where earnings estimates are for the rest of this year, based on GAAP, not, not forward operating adjusted BS, but even on a GAAP basis, earnings are too elevated. 
relative to what the economy can generate. So what theory, what what history tells us is that if we have a recession, and this is where the recession story becomes very important for investors, if we have a recession, earnings will need to fall to a growth rate that will compensate, and this is also what we covered in this weekend's newsletter, but earnings will need to fall to a level that will align with what the economy can actually generate. Now, we all have, and this is the problem with forward-adjusting operating BS earnings, because that is earnings as if everything is perfect. Gap earnings are what actually happens in the economy and what actually gets reported. But if the economy slows, earnings will have to decline. Why? Because economic activity is where earnings come from. It's what you and I do in the economy. It's us going to Home Depot or to Lowe's or going out to eat or putting gas in our car, going to the grocery store. Those activities is what creates revenue for Kroger's, for Exxon, for Home Depot, for Lowe's. That's where the revenues come from. It's from our activities. So if our activities slow because, well, we've got less money, inflation is higher, interest rates are too costly, I can't afford to buy things, I can't afford to borrow money, can't make my credit card payments, then revenues are going to fall, hence earnings will also fall. So this is the important thing about the recession call. And as we go back to talking about the recession, I can absolutely guarantee you that there will be a recession. The problem is, is that I don't know when. Again, there's lots of reasons to expect that we will have a economic slowdown at least and a recession at worst sometime this year, if not the first quarter or second quarter of next year, because of what the Federal Reserve is doing in terms of hiking rates, their intent to slow economic growth to bring down inflation. However, at the same time, that they're hiking these rates and tightening monetary policy. Senior loan officers are also tightening credit lending standards. So if you want to go borrow money at the bank, that's getting much tougher to do. But at the same time this is occurring, we still have all this monetary liquidity sitting in the system from increased food stamp benefits that are expiring, but that's been there, right? The money that we sent out, checks to households, et cetera, that's still working its way through the system. Yes, the people that got the checks have spent the checks. But, the, but where they spent the checks, that money is still working its way through the system. It's getting diluted as it passes through the system, but it's still passing through the system. It's still in the system. That $5 trillion is still floating around, changing hands. So that's supporting economic activity. So that's delaying this call on recession. And now this is a critically important to when it comes down to investing. And this is the problem with, again, I'm getting a slew of emails going, you know, I heard some guy on the radio saying, or the, you know, some YouTube channel, whatever, that the economy is going to go into a depression and the dollar is going to zero and, you know, it's, it's going to be economic Armageddon. So I just want to be in precious metals, food stamps, and beanie weenies, whatever, right? The problem is, is what if that doesn't happen? 
you know, there's an old saying that says the worst things that we believe will happen often never happen. The things we worry about the most tend not to be the things that happen. And so when it comes to investing, if we invest in our worst fears, odds are those worst fears were not come to fruition and we wind up being on the wrong side of the trade wherever that is. And this is why we pay so much attention to technical analysis in the short term, which helps us define these movements in the markets, reduce exposure in February. Now we're starting to look like we're getting to a point where we can actually increase some exposure some, at least for the time being. We need a little bit more confirmation right now. But we had a very good market action on Friday with that retest, successful retest of previous resistance, now turning that into support. That's very bullish. We need to be paying attention to that. Doesn't mean you have to go jump all in. You know, markets are going to look like they're going to open down a little bit this morning. We've got to deal with the Fed. We've got employment on Friday. That could come in a lot hotter than expected, putting more fears into the market, right? That could pull prices back here. And we may retest the 200-day moving average again before this is all done. Question is, can we hold it? Now we break that level of support. We got a different we got a different conversation, but right now we have a lot of bullish indicators kind of starting to line up here. That could suggest higher markets over the next month or two. Very short term, right? We're not talking about the return of the great bull market, right? Trading opportunities. So that's why we pay so much attention to the technicals. Yes, we certainly have concerns about the economy. We certainly have concerns about a recession. Certainly the signals out there, yield curves, leading economic indicators, and a variety of others certainly suggest that a recession is coming. The problem is the timing. We'll be right back after the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Interesting article on uh, in the Wall Street Journal today talking about the future benefits that you'll see in the future potentially at work and it's talking about the workforce of the future right and so already you know we're seeing companies now going hey you need to come back to work at least three days a week the work from home thing didn't really work out well with everybody just working remotely. Productivity is, was a problem. And of course, uh, what we're finding out now is people had, you know, three or four multiple jobs <laughs> that they were all working at the same time, even though they're supposed to be fully employed by a company, they've working three or four full-time jobs, which certainly goes to suggest that the person you have working for you, if they can work four full-time jobs, you're not giving them enough work to do, right? 
people are crafty. Give them plenty of leave, give give them some some room to uh, operate, and they'll figure out ways to to take advantage of it. But this is an interesting uh, Wall Street Journal story because this goes to the heart of one of the problems that we've had over the last twenty years, and will continue to weigh on the U.S. employment going forward as well. The workforce of the future, I'm just going to read to you from the Wall Street Journal here real quick. The workforce of the future will be made up of a greater mix of employees of all ages as people live and work longer. This is according to economist predictions. As a result, companies competing for these workers are expected to offer more benefits tailored to needs at different stages of life. So this is all fine and dandy, right? So what, what are some of those different needs? Stints and sabbaticals. Options for work abroad stints and sabbaticals will increase, managers predict, prompted by millennials and Gen Zers who say travel and life experiences are keys to happiness. Just hold your, hold, hold your comments for just a moment. I'm not to the end of this yet. Global-mindedness, empathy, and respecting different cultures are all accomplished by sending employees to different places, they say. For those who have traveled abroad, this is going to be important. Daycare for parents. You know, we are seeing a move now of more multi-generational families as kids move back in with parents, parents move in with children, and because we have done such a very poor job of financially preparing for retirement, this is going to become a much more commonplace thing in the future. We'll start seeing houses with two master suites, right? One for, one for the owners and one for the parents. Those type of things. But daycare for parents will be another option. Um, on-site counselor. As workers' mental health struggles continue to gain attention, companies are looking for ways to respond, providing safe spaces and counselors for workers to talk to. Post-parental leave. Now that paid parental leave is widespread, watch for companies to add a transitional period at the end of that break designed to let employees ease back into work. I want to just throw them back into the, the, the madhouse. Hyper-personalized benefits. Imagine a company covering ski equipment as an employee's preferred form of exercise or housekeeping services counting as a wellness stipend. Okay, these all sound great. Now, this is all just theory from the Wall Street Journal. These are not reality, of course. But here's the problem with all this idea. These have a cost. So while we talk about, you know, this idea of wealth inequality and wealth gaps and these types of things, the problem with all of this is that it requires money to pay for these things. That is an additional cost. So if I'm going to pay Brent $80,000 a year to do his job or whatever his job is, 50000 Part of his compensation is going to be these additional benefits. However, here's the problem. If I'm producing a product, right, or a service, 
in order to maintain my profit margin and my earnings, I need to lower my in-house cost. I do that by outsourcing those jobs to countries that don't require a parental stipend or a, 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 you know, wellness counselor at work. You know, these people show up to work. They work seven days a week for $2 an hour and jump out of windows. And we're okay with that, right? Because we get cheap products. As I said before, we export inflation, which is all these higher costs and benefits to import deflation so we can buy cheaper stuff. So, yes, we will probably provide some of these things because of the mistakes that we made as parents raising the next generation. You know, once Dr. Spock, not the guy from Star Trek, by the way, once Dr. Spock started, you know, lambashing parents for disciplining their children and we needed to move to timeouts. And then we graduated from that to giving everybody a trophy for participation. We did not equip our children to deal with the competitive nature of employment, which is exactly what it is. If I go to work for a company, I am competing, A, for that job, and B, I am competing for the next job hire to make more money. If I've got an employee that shows up five days a week, every day, does their job, doesn't complain, produces above expectations versus one that shows up and needs counseling every week, which one do you think gets the promotion? Again, those all require costs. Here's the other problem. When those costs go up, companies have to do what? They have to find ways to offset those costs. And they do that through what? Robotics, automation, artificial intelligence. Another article in the Wall Street Journal brings this to a very clear perspective. The number of workers for an S&P 500 company required to generate a million dollars in revenue has gone from eight in 1985 to two today. So in other words, companies are becoming much more efficient about the labor that they hire to produce their revenue. So yes, I can provide these other accommodative services to entice you to come over, but I'm enticing you to come over. I'm going to pay Brent $50,000 for a job that I used to pay somebody $100,000 a year to do because I've automated a bunch of that work. Wages have, have not kept up with the pace of inflation. Wages have not kept up with the profitability of companies. Wages have not kept up with economic growth over time because of automation and all these type of things. You know, when my father was alive, I remember when FedEx first came around. Everybody was like, who the hell needs something overnight, right? But my dad picked up on it. He's like, this is not a great thing. When the internet started coming around, he said, this is not a good thing for workers because this allows somebody to do more work with less, which means somebody loses their job. And that's been the case. 
a lot of people used to say is, well, no, automation is good because if some if we automate a bunch of stuff, that means we're going to have to have those people, you know, handle the automation, right? Somebody's got to fix the, somebody's got to, if you build robots, somebody's got to fix the robots. Well, that's until the robots learn to fix themselves. Or you have robots that fix the robots. So the whole theory that automation was great, it created more jobs, more employment, more, you know, higher wages, all this, it never came true. And now you have two employees doing the work of eight to generate the same amount of revenue. So it's fine to offer, this. again, if I offer a counselor, right, I'm offering a job for $50,000 a year, and my competitor is offering the same job for $55,000 a year, but I provide a counselor that you can go access anytime. What do I care? I've got one employee, the counselor, to service all these people in my company, and I'm saving $5,000 an employee across the board. That counselor will pay for itself as a benefit. Right? So I, I can attack, I can attract and retain talent, but those are still cost that it will ultimately, those benefits have a, are a double-edged sword that will suppress wage growth because I'm providing you a cheap benefit. And it will also encourage the outsourcing of tasks I can task. I will outsource those to either automation, artificial intelligence, robotics, or other countries that don't require those benefits but this is the, this is going to be the challenge of the future is this distraction between this idea of i want all these benefits i want to travel and i want to have a life of leisure i don't want to work that hard you know i just want to work enough to make money versus building sustainable wealth and creating wealth equality which is the one thing that everybody complains about you can't have both all right wraps up the show for the day we'll be back tomorrow of course tuesday we'll see what the market does today futures pointing down a little bit right now we'll see how we finish up today again big run last week so a little bit of a pullback today won't be surprising at all but where do the markets go from here that's going to be the big question also Make sure and subscribe to our Before the Bell channel. That's our three minutes on markets and money that we put out every morning. Um, make sure you subscribe there so we'll notify you while you're at the website. It's also subscribe to our daily market commentary, our weekly newsletter. It's all there to help you manage your money better. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.